0: and I notice that that kind of anxiety or those systems turn on, it kind of is like a sign for me to take a deeper look because I'm looking at something different than what is familiar, which means there might be the potential to get a result different than the one I've got.
1: Hi, welcome to the Tarun Stevenson Leadership Channel. I'm your host, Tarun Stevenson, and we are all about helping you lead, communicate, and grow to your full potential. Whether you're tuning in on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or your favorite podcasting app, don't forget to subscribe and follow so that you can stay up to date with all our latest episodes. All right, here's the latest episode. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Joey Klein, and he is the CEO and founder of Inner Matrix Systems, and they are... Uh, focused on the art and science of personal development. Welcome, Joey, to the show.
0: Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, it's great. And I've, I've been uh, reading through some of your material and what you guys do, and I'm really fascinated and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of inner matrix systems and what you do because I've probably butchered the introduction and uh, I'm sure you can do it much better than I can.
0: All righty sure thing happy to so um, uh, essentially inner matrix systems is a personal mastery training system for high achievers. Um, Essentially what we do is we employ our proprietary inner matrix method to rewire train and align the nervous system emotions and thought strategies Uh, And we make sure that that translates into creating real life results, um, regardless of sort of what that real life result is. We tend to sort of really focus, as I said, on kind of high achievers, high performers um, in the area of like professional athletes, you know, CEOs, business owners, entrepreneurs, etc. But we really do work with with people from every walk of life at this point in time, um, depending on, on what people's focus is.
1: Fantastic. And I love that you uh, mentioned neuroscience. I'm a little bit of a neuroscience nerd myself. And uh, I love the way that understanding uh, our thoughts and our brain wirings actually has a profound effect on our ability to grow and our ability to perform at higher levels. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about that. I'd like to delve into a little bit of your uh, backstory because you are a black belt in martial arts and you have incorporated some of the disciplines of martial arts into what you do. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that part of your life and how you came to start incorporating the disciplines of martial arts into personal mastery
0: sure thing absolutely so um when i look at at martial arts like i started off in the traditional martial arts more so than like mma and some of the stuff that we see more uh, publicized today and in traditional martial arts i started out when i was you know 12 years old in in a style called okinawan tempo and there's always this Focus on sort of yes, we're going to learn to kick, punch, and you know fight, so to speak. Um, but the focus was inherently always on building integrity, building morality, and sort of these life principles that we really want to embody as a human being. Um, and so that got woven into sort of my learning within martial arts. And you know, twenty years of study, et cetera. I did eventually do pretty decent, and um, you know, t- t- trained and uh, competed all over the world. And what I, what I started to realize was that these sort of key principles and, and meditation methods that I was learning in my discipline in martial arts were really giving me an edge um, everywhere else in life, whether it had to be, do with business or career or my personal relationship, et cetera. And the things that were occurring to me as just naturally to do, I realized very quickly were not naturally normal for a lot of people. So sure. like as an example, you know, when we get in the ring and, and like your job is to essentially you know, it's a competition. So it's not like a full out fight, like in the street or something. A lot of people don't understand that distinction, but your job is still essentially to kind of hurt the other person whom is in the ring with you. And they have been training to essentially do the same thing to you. Right. So, um, so that's a high intense intensity situation, um, that you're going into. And what I found is that I was actually not performing well Um, I would perform really well training I would perform really well in the dojong which is where we would practice um, the school dojong is school and um, I would I would be one of the better athletes and then I would go to tournament and then I would be put on the spot and and I would fail I would lose to people who were far far uh, you know less talented than me Um, I would forget like what I was supposed to execute on and I would essentially freeze up um, and so I started to really get into the meditation aspects of martial arts and sort of emotional management techniques. Mm. Um, and what I realized was that martial arts was, was yes, you had to have the physical aptitude for it, but what really made me a great athlete ultimately, or decent at what I did, I should say, um, was actually the emotional management that I developed. And so, you know, the ability to be in the ring and not be afraid, remain mm. calm, mm. um, stay centered, not get upset. And and all of a sudden, the the skills that I was training, I could then execute on. And it was sort of actually after I honed a high level of emotional capacity or emotional mastery that that actually translated to me performing pretty well. And then I noticed that that was inherent everywhere else in life, that a lot Mm -hmm. of times it's our emotional, um, we'll say, ineptitude or or sort of lack of capacity emotionally that tends to have us not create the results that, that we potentially can create.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's such a good insight. And just for the context of those who are maybe exploring this for the first time, you you've talked about meditation a couple of times in uh, explaining this. Now, uh, what are you referring to when you talk about meditation? Because I guess the the stereotype is the the Buddhist monk sitting on a, a hill with his legs crossed, and you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, whatever uh, he's doing, but like when when you're talking about meditation in the broader sense of the word, can you give us something to uh, really peg down in everyday life for the person that perhaps is not religious or perhaps doesn't explore it to the depths that some do? How do you incorporate mindfulness into everyday life?
0: Sure thing. Absolutely. So I think you're absolutely on track with what you said there. Like when a lot of people hear meditation, they think of, you know, a Buddhist monk or something like sitting on a rock, like trying to just clear their mind. Mm. And, you know, from what I've learned, that's as far from internal training as as we can get. Like that really Mm. isn't the goal or the point, in my opinion. Um, And so I actually like to think of it more as internal training Mm. um, as as opposed to like meditation. So like for me, if we want to stay in shape, you know, you go to the gym And you hopefully find a really decent trainer to kind of train you physically um, to be able to execute on what you want to execute on. Mm -hmm. And if you follow a particular formula, the body's going to adapt, the body's going to get stronger, it's going to become more flexible, and and like it translates to results as long as you're following Mm -hmm. the right training. And so when I think of internal training or meditation, it's the set of techniques that sort of develops those um, higher, uh, you know, emotional intelligent capacity. So like our ability to stay calm, even though we're in a stressful environment, Mm. that's something we have to train. It's not natural for people to do that. Right. Or, or same thing. Like we all have the experience, especially today of our mind, just chattering all the time. And, and, and a lot of the times it can get focused on things that just isn't productive, right? Yeah. Obsessing about you know, things that are gonna go bad that haven't happened yet or the to-do list or how we're behind you know on our, on our things that we need to get done and so on and so forth. And so with the right internal training techniques or meditation, we can actually teach the mind working with the neurology of our brain uh, mm. to, to focus inherently in a way that is unnatural or uncommon for most people to do. And yeah. when we can focus for extended periods of time and really get the mind to pay attention to what we want it to pay attention to, like results and outcomes, as opposed to, say, problems and challenges, uh, that, that matters. Like That translates to a much better quality of life inside of the way we're currently living, as well as ultimately results that we want to aspire to. And if we don't train these internal capacities, you know, our emotions and our mind, then they're going to do what they've kind of been doing already or what they've been conditioned to do by way of our environment or, you know, our family influence or society influence, et cetera. And more oftentimes than not, those thought strategies that we currently engage in or the emotional patterns that have gotten sort of trained within us um, you know, oftentimes are, are keeping us from the results that we want to get. And I think a lot of people don't realize that we can actually train emotions. We can, we can right. teach ourselves. Or, or train ourselves to, to feel more peaceful, to feel happier, to feel optimistic. Um, that's a training. That's a process. Mm. It's not just something that sort of happens, right? It's not. It's not either here or not there. And I think a lot of us we've gotten caught in different, um, you know, experiences of being within ourselves, and. That oftentimes keeps us from the quality of life we want and the external results that we want to get. So I really focus on, hey, let's look at at meditation or internal training as just like this practical strategy and step-by-step process that we can engage in to really maximize the potential of of our mind and our emotions so that we really do create from, from the inside out in a very practical and pragmatic way.
1: Yes, that's, that's great. So you, you said there that um, managing your emotions in uh, highly intense or confronting situations is not a natural thing to do. Uh, I read uh, you say in another place where if somebody kicks you in the face in the ring, your natural instinct is to get angry and to fight back. But the way you win in that Combat situation is to be able to regulate your emotions and to stay calm in the moment and stay focused on on the task at hand. Um, there's some really interesting neuroscience around our uh, instinctive responses and how they control our emotions. Why don't we, before we get to the practical steps of how to manage emotion, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, the neuroscience behind how your emotions and your instincts. Uh, connected and what that does for us um, in, in those times when we're confronted.
0: Yeah, sure thing. So what, what a lot of us don't realize, and, and, and I sure didn't in, in, in the, you know, when I first started this work, is that our brain actually is sort of hardwired in many ways to sort of work against us when it, tr- when it comes to really wanting to thrive in life or, or create something um, that, that where we're really uh, executing in an outstanding way because our brain hardwired is really designed and it's been doing this for thousands of years and it's getting better and better at this all the time is really it's getting, it's gotten good to kind of assess potential threats and avoid them, right? Like that's, that's sort of what the neurology of our brain wants to do. Uh, another way to say that is it wants to maintain status quo, whatever yeah. that is for us, whether status quo is a pretty decent life or when we've gotten caught and we're in a bit of a struggle, the brain actually isn't interested in alleviating the struggle, it's interested yeah. in surviving. And so if we know that we've gotten through life struggling, as an example, um, the brain goes, hey, let's maintain this because even though it's, it's a challenge, we're surviving. We got through one day, we can get through another day. So even when better things come along or opportunities come along, you know, we actually have the same fear response to positive things that show up in our life as we do quote unquote negative things or threats. And essentially the same fight or flight mechanism turns on for us. And so for most of us in our daily life, um, fight or flight does not actually look like running away from something, although it can. And, and it doesn't look like it did for me where you're actually punching and kicking somebody. Like, mm-hmm. hopefully we're not getting in fights every day. Like, that, that's, a, that's not a good thing, right? Um, but, uh, but what happens is, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we look at, um, you know, we get a bad uh, review as an yeah. example. Those fight or flight mechanisms r- relate to that as a threat, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. we're okay. Right. Or, you know, maybe we get some critical feedback from a loved one or a family member um, where, you know, they're they're maybe upset that we loaded the dishwasher improperly. You know, just these yeah. little day-to-day things that occur to the brain in the same way as you're in the ring and somebody's about to punch you yeah. and we actually are in danger right the brain doesn't distinguish between these things and so what happens when we go into fight or flight is the brain stem lights up which is that part of the brain that's in the back of the head connected to the spinal cord you know the limbic system is our emotional brain it becomes very active and the mm-hmm. prefrontal cortex directly behind the the forehead literally just kind of shuts down or deactivates, prioritizing, you know, I need to fight or run, right, right? survival. Mm, Um, and so if we can kind of learn to turn those neurological mechanisms off in the brain and tell the brain, I'm safe, I'm okay, we yeah. can turn off that fight or flight response, which is also connected to our uh, sympathetic nervous system, which is why a lot of us inside of like just low grade consistent stress, you know, ends up with like autoimmune disorders or, or you know, mm. fatigue or, or overly tired is because a lot of us today, we're, we're kind of running on a constant low stress state some of us medium or high stress state depending Mm -hmm. on what our world looks like and we're not turning that off neurologically speaking and our biology was not designed to function that way we weren't designed to be in a fight-or-flight state on a perpetual basis that was like danger's there danger's gone okay it should turn off right away yeah and we should really only be there from a nervous system perspective like like one percent to five percent of our existence but a lot Mm. of us it's become 95% of our existence this kind of low grade fight or flight response so yeah. if we can get the sympathetic nervous system to calm down we can step out of fight or flight we mm. activate the prefrontal cortex that region just behind the forehead and that's the region responsible for creative thinking uh, activating experiences such as peace and inspiration passion joy etc mm. and it gives us access to critical thinking, creative thinking, and intuition. And so what happens when we're in that low grade fight or flight response, neurologically speaking, we actually have no access to creative thinking and critical thinking, Mm. which is why we kind of look back and go, why did I do that silly thing? Or like I used to do in martial arts where I would freeze up and not perform well or forget Mm. things that I'd literally practiced thousands of times. I would just forget what I was supposed to do and wouldn't be able to find it because my brain literally wasn't giving me access to the things that I knew very well. So when Mm. I could get my brain into the right sort of working condition where I could then essentially execute at the level in which I trained to do, now we're able to not only operate at our highest levels, but we're able to grow and, and really and really prosper um, just by putting our, our nervous system in the right state, right? Getting that sympathetic nervous system off, get the parasympathetic nervous system a little bit more activated more of the time, um, and then the prefrontal cortex operating uh, for us, so to speak, And a lot of us, we relate to fight or flight is like, oh, if I'm in a low grade fear state that I just have, I've just lost a little access to like creative thinking or critical thinking, but the brain doesn't work that way. The brain is a switch. We either have access or we don't. And so if we look at any reality of life, if we lose access on a regular basis to critical thinking, creative thinking, um, we're obviously not going to perform very well at all whether it's just a relationship with a loved one or we're looking to run a multi-million dollar business
1: yeah joey i'm so glad you're talking about this because this is something i've been teaching in in my workshops for a number of years now i teach behavior management for educators and also for leadership and one of the things that i talk to them about is is how your emotions don't have language they don't actually process the uh the danger or threat they feel the danger and then they activate that instinctive response and it's really being able to stay calm enough to activate your prefrontal cortex and actually think through or uh, inform your in, uh, instinctive responses to the correct threat rather than just feeling it so it's it's so good to hear somebody else talking about this and uh, it's if if is hearing this for the first time and they're thinking, uh, maybe that's a challenge I have. You know, they feel emotionally unregulated. They feel like they don't uh, respond to stress well. What are some of the practical steps they can take to start getting this uh, system under control, the sympathetic nervous system under control?
0: Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we can break it down into three key steps uh, to get started. And and I think the first step is, is becoming aware of where we're at. Um, and, and starting to know just sort of how we, how we perform. What do we do uh, after we kind of sent, you know, come in touch with, with where we're at? So, so as an example, you know, there's been a variety of times and you know, I still mess it up frequently and, and regularly today. Uh, you know, I get caught, like it's like when we feel angry, if we can get decent at noticing that we're upset, right? Hey, in this moment, I feel upset. Or if we don't have the language for naming the emotion that we're feeling, just sort of noting, hey, in this moment, I'm in a fear-based state or i feel a bit contracted or my word is i feel amped right sometimes i go oh, i'm a little amped i need to be aware right um and then just starting to note that and i think you're kind of alluding to this a little bit earlier where it's like oh the emotion of anger is present my mind is going to think in a very specific way like when i'm angry the things that are that occur to me to do that fee- that seem like a good ita- time uh, that seemed like a good idea at the time are terrible ideas, right? And I know that because I've gotten upset enough, and then done the things that occurred to me as good ideas, and then sort of stepped out of feeling angry and upset, and then sort of re, uh, you know, sort of sort of touched in with what I did. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope that person still wants to talk to me tomorrow, right? Or I, I hope I still have a relationship. Because it's like, like, when we're no longer angry, and we look at the way in which we behaved or the action we took, or the email that we sent, right? Sometimes we we do the vomit email when we're upset, and then we accidentally hit send, and, and then we read it the next day, and we're like, oh, I hope I still have a job, right? Right. Mm. Um, And so it's like when anger is present, my mind thinks in a very particular way. And so if I just take note of that, whether I can do it while it's happening or I can reassess it afterward, that's going to teach me to see where I am. And so I think a lot of people think of emotions as a way to evaluate what's happening. Like, oh, I feel angry. So that must be something bad happened or yeah. you know I've been disrespected or something's wrong. And so I relate to emotions and I train people to relate to emotions very differently. Um, it's a small adjustment, but it makes such a big difference. Mm. I look at emotions as an indication of where I am. So mm. if I'm upset, I know I'm not about to perform well. Um, I'm in that fight or flight response I'm perceiving a threat that most likely is not there, and I'm not ready to move forward and take action like anger tells me that my next step is to kind of activate the brain get yes. back into that parasympathetic response, get inside my prefrontal cortex, get calm, get relaxed, so I can literally access a higher emotional intelligence. Because when I look at ways in which I perform when I feel inspired, or I feel joyful, or I feel compassionate, and then I look at how the mind thinks and the things that occur to me to do, right, it can literally be the same person, right? Like my girlfriend is in front of me. And it's like, I'm upset, these are the things that occur to me to do. Oh, I feel, I feel loving and, you know, um, inspired uh, by our relationship. There's like a whole different set of things that occur to me to do, and mm. it can literally be the same set of circumstances. And so if I look at emotions as informing where I am, as opposed to informing me about my world and my environment, mm. now I can start this training process. So that's why I say it starts with an awareness. We got to kind of get in touch with, like, what am I feeling and where am I at? And then once we assess that, we know I'm either good to go and take action because I'm in a love-based state, neurologically mm-hmm. speaking, mm-hmm. Um, inspiration, compassion, joy, et cetera, or wait, I'm in a fear-based state. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling jealous or resentment. Uh, this is a stop. This is a no-go. Like, like I'm, yeah. I'm not going to like what I answer to, right? So, so first step is just awareness, which is where am I at? Like that simple question, yeah. where am I at? Um, If I am in a love-based state, great, like like take action on the idea that occurs, probably Mm going to work out, right? Or lead to something working out the way we want. If we're not in that state, which is more often than we all think, then next step is we've got to tell the nervous system that we're okay. So I think a a lot of times the mistake people make is we try to think our way out of where we are. we try to rationalize why we're okay or why we're safe. And, you know, we, we try to give ourselves data points or like positive thinking as to the reason it's all going to be okay. And the nervous system is just like, no, it's actually not right. The, the nervous system is not, you know, sort of buying into the thoughts of the mind. So before we redirect the thinking, we've got to get the brain to shift. And I find the simplest way to do this really is two steps, like be aware of the body, um and and step one is relax right and a lot of people i find they don't even know what relax means Mm. and so i often tell people like just take your fist and like clench it as tight as you can like that's tension right ah relax the hand like that's the state we want the whole body in and so just start like at the top of the head and everybody can do it right now and you just Mm. do a quick scan you know just work down your face shoulders you know your chest your arms trunk of the body Uh, legs, all the way to the toes and just go like, Hey, am I, am I relaxed right now? And if you're noticing that we're a bit tense, which is a fight or flight response, you know, tension bracing for impact, we want to just relax the body. And -hmm. then as we relax the body, you know, combine that with a method of deep breathing. I find um, what I call the four-sided breath is most effective. This is something I learned in my martial arts training. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as you just touch the tongue to the palate of the mouth. Inhale through the nose for a four to five second in count. Then pause, hold the breath at the top of that inhale, maybe one or two seconds. Exhale, four or five second out count. And then pause, hold that breath for one or two seconds at the bottom of the out breath, and then repeat the breath. So inhaling through the nose, two, three, four, pause, hold. And then exhaling, two, three, four, pause, hold and just repeating that breath cycle while relaxing the body, tongue at the palate of the mouth and doing your best to breathe from your stomach, your abdomen, as opposed to the chest. Mm-hmm. And if we, if we practice this breath, like let's say we, we take 10 minutes a day and you just did that breathing practice that we walked through, inhale, pause, exhale, pause. What it becomes is, is a training for the nervous system. So the way that this tool works in practical application is, you know, I'm in a board meeting and it's not going my way. I'm I'm being put on the spot. Oh, I can just relax the body, take that deep breath in, pause, hold out, pause, hold. And eventually it just becomes a switch just like that. where my nervous system learns to turn off on cue that fight or flight Mm -hmm. response. We can teach it to turn off on cue. Um, if we're really amped and we haven't done that 10 minute practice a day, can we use the breath? you know, while we're having a conversation with our significant other that, mm. you know, we have a difference of opinion while they're talking, we can listen to them and start that breathing. And if we, if we, you know, do it, we will still calm down. It won't be as effective as if we did the practice every day and then mm. went to rely on the tool, right? Kind of like I used to play baseball too, right? And it's like, we would go to the batting cage and swing and practice on our swing, like, like you know, hundreds, if not, you know, a thousand swings a day sometimes. So that when you we went to play baseball, like your swing was home and it increased the likelihood that you hit the ball. So like taking just 10 minutes a day and practicing to relax and breathe seems like kind of a, a nonsense thing to do. But because we tend to be in this low stress state and, and it's not what we have taught the body to do, taking just a little window of time and practicing for the events of life can be really effective. Now, if we can't make the time or we don't do it, we can still breathe and it'll be just as effective, right? It'll kind of Uh. get us back to sanity so we can have clarity. Instead of one or two breath cycles, it may take seven or eight um, to kind of calm ourselves down, uh, which which is still just as effective. Once we notice ourselves a bit more calm and relaxed, so we go, oh, in this moment, like, how am I feeling? And we Uh. go, you know what? I'm feeling a bit at peace. I'm feeling a bit of acceptance. I'm, I'm noticing that I'm sort of in a calm centered space. Okay. What are the things that now occur to me to do now we can go great. What action should I take? And I think a little trick in terms of when we're looking at the follow-up right after we get ourselves centered as to, as to, you know, get yourself thinking in that great direction is asking the simple question, what outcome do I want to produce? Mm. What's the best thing I can do right now to produce it? Um, and if we've calmed the nervous system down, some things are going to start to occur to us. If we just can't figure out or come up with anything that would be great to do to produce an outcome we want, that's usually an indication that we're in that fight or flight state. And it's a sign creative thinking and critical thinking isn't, isn't turned on. So now we just need to go back, breathe a little more. And then again, follow that up with what outcome do I want to produce? Come up with the best idea we can and, and then execute. And so step one where am I at step two? If I'm, if I'm green, if I'm in a good state, great, go take action. If I'm not in a great state, I need to breathe until I get that fight or flight response to turn off and then follow it up with what outcome do I want to create? What makes sense to do right now to, to move toward it. And, and I find that if we practice this, right, it becomes more, it just becomes a reflex. If we look at any behavior we're doing right now in our daily life, from the way we interact with our children or or our significant other to the way we show up at work or the way we lead other people or the way we manage our company, we're in a reflex. We're in a constant, for many of us, reactive state where, you know, triggers things happen in our world and then we respond the same way over and over and over again. If we can learn to start, start paying attention to the way we're responding and then train the response that's going to get us the result we want until it becomes a reflex, this is how we really create from the inside out. Because the two places we have power is response and then the actions that we take. And if we really start to pay attention to our response and our actions and start to realize that these really are repetitive behaviors, we can start to employ simple techniques like the one I just kind of talked everybody through um, to start the process of really um, aligning our way of being and, and training ourselves inside of this idea of self mastery to, to take us where we want to go.
1: Yeah. There's so much good stuff in there, Joey. And I, I love the way that you talk about um, shifting your mind's perspective of what uh, negative emotion is actually for, you know, so often we treat uh, the feelings of uh, fear or threat as an indicator of how we should respond. I feel angry. Therefore I should respond in a hostile manner. Uh, yeah, what you're saying is that uh, treat it like an indicator of where you're at currently and then use your thinking systems or your uh, prefrontal cortex to actually uh, assess the correct way to respond and retrain yourself out of those instinctive responses that may have been good when you were being chased by a lion, but it's not so good when you're your kid spills his breakfast on the floor, you know, and you've got to re retrain yourself in those instinctive moments. And, and it's just so practical, you know, those breathing, the self scanning, even as you were talking, I was scanning and, and realized how much tension I was carrying in my neck. And I'm not feeling threatened right now. I'm not in a fear response per se, but I'm still carrying a level of tension in my body that I'm not actively aware of. And so that's a really good advice there. And and that breathing technique that you talked about, I've actually used that to help myself sleep when I've um, struggled to get Mm -hmm. to sleep, Uh, just, you know, breathing in for five pausing and then breathing out and pausing. And it's just such an effective way of just calming your nervous system down and getting control of your, your mind and your emotions. Joey, tell, tell us about um, where we go from here. Let's just say we, we start to engage our, our mindfulness and we start to manage our emotions. Where would we go from here if we want to continue leveling up in our personal mastery? What are the other systems in our body that we need to have an awareness of and um, start to be intentional about how we uh, moderate them?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So when I, um, you know, when I think about personal mastery, uh, there's a couple of key things that we really need to look at training, and we need to train each one. Although they all are a system, and obviously are working, uh, you know, very intricately together, the way we train each of these systems is is unique and a little bit different from one to the next. So like the way we train uh, emotions. Is, is a little bit different than the strategies that we're gonna to use to train mental thoughts, right? Or, or focus strategies. Um, but ultimately I find that, that because everything works as a macro system together, like you can't, you can't really feel emotion without thinking, right? You can't think without having emotions there. And as we just discovered, like our emotions and our thinking have a direct influence on our physical body. Like there are mm-hmm. biochemical responses that occur. Um, when we're feeling a certain way and we're thinking a certain way. And each of the methods that we want to employ to kind of train each of these systems are a little bit distinct and different. And so, you know, know, ongoing training should really occur um, inside of emotions, right? Optimizing our, our, our emotional capacity. Second, ongoing training inside of our mental capacity, our mental strategies, so to speak. Third is nervous system or body. And when I say training the nervous system of the body, like, yes, like absolutely like diet, nutrition, uh, movement, um, exercise, et cetera, like is very important, but more important, I'm speaking to how we directly train um, the brain and the nervous system to sort of be in that more parasympathetic nervous nervous system state so that we're really teaching as a reflex our nervous system to maintain an optimal state of performance. So it doesn't kind of switch back to these, you know, sort of habits, if you will. Now, of course, like diet and nutrition, I put in that category of, of nerves, nervous system as well, because a lot of times, if we want to feel peaceful, but the way we're eating is causing insulin spikes throughout the day because we're relying on a lot of sugar or something like this, it's much more challenging to, to manage um, emotions and, and to maintain. Uh, you know, higher emotional states, such as peace or optimism or tranquility or, you know, passion, inspiration, et cetera. So even though we train those differently, like we train the body a little differently, we train emotion, it's all interrelated. So we, we really do, if we want to really create high capacity in these areas, um, or just proficiency even, uh, we really need to look at each of these as a, as a separate training. And then finally, I have this category that I think of as intuition. Uh, from an internal aspect. And intuition is that ability to teach the subconscious or unconscious mind to sort of work through the puzzles of life on an ongoing basis, even when we're not actively focused on what's going on. So, you know, an example of this to kind of make it practical, um, I, I lived in a ranch when I moved from LA, Los Angeles to Colorado. And my goal was to like be in nature And so I started dating this woman and we ended up on this ranch that she owned out in Eagle, Colorado. It was like 30 acres. It was beautiful. It was gorgeous in the middle of nature. Um, I quickly realized that that ranch living was not for me. Um, It was too much nature because you get like pack rats in the ceiling and they're like eating the wires. And, you know, you've got five feet of snow outside and you're like, how am I going to get out of my driveway now? Um, But I remember like when I was there, it started snowing. I I had a BMW at the time, you know, a little three series. And you know, that doesn't work well in three feet of snow. So I needed to buy a truck, right? I was never into trucks. Um, And something that I realized was that as soon as I started, you know, to be interested in trucks and realized that I needed to get a four-wheel drive vehicle to live out on this ranch, I started seeing them everywhere on the road. We've probably all experienced this where we kind of have an idea of a car you want to buy and you, you see them, right? It's like all of a sudden they had a sale on trucks and they just like flooded the road overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, as many of us know, those trucks were always, are always there, our subconscious self or unconscious mind just sort of deleted the information because it was unimportant, right? But as soon as we decide we're going to buy one, it becomes emotionally important. It becomes, you know, something that's imperative. So now all of a sudden we see what we literally couldn't see before. We see what was always there. All of a sudden I'm seeing Nissan Titans. I'm seeing, you know, Ford, uh, you know, F-150s or, you know, Tundras or whatever. Um, And I never really looked at them before. And I was deciding which one I liked and which one I want to buy, et cetera. And so intuition is is developing that capacity of really getting clear on vision, what is it it that we wanna create? What do we wanna fulfill? And aligning ourselves in such a way that our unconscious is sort of highlighting pertinent or important information on our behalf, um, that's going to ultimately bridge the gap from where we are to where we really wanna be. And and developing intuition is really the key to making that happen. Um, As I say, oftentimes, like we don't need to know how we're gonna get somewhere. But we do need to know where we want to go so that we understand how to turn on intuition. And then as long as we are training that faculty, it really does have the ability to to bridge the gap by way of just sort of the supercomputer of our unconscious self, all of a sudden data collecting and highlighting the right information so that we're implementing the things that are ultimately going to get us where we want to go. And so when I think of personal mastery, it's really about developing um, a high ability in each of those areas, emotion, mind, intuition, um, and then inside the nervous
1: system. It's interesting that you talk about instinct being something that you can train because I think for a lot of people, they would say that instinct is something that is inbuilt in us or something you're born with, you know, uh, we often refer to a woman's intuition and um, and their ability to perceive uh, challenges that are not necessarily evident on the surface. Yeah. And it's like this this ethereal thing that just comes with women. But what you're saying here is that uh, your intuition or your, your instinct for problem solving can actually be trained by uh, consciously focusing on aspects of your life that need attention. And it's a great example of the car uh, because that's happened to all of us. Um, what are some other ways that we can train our instinct or our intuition so that we become more aware of problem-solving or having a growth mindset as opposed to going into defensive or emotional, emotionally reactive postures?
0: Yeah, no, great. Um, I think the, the, the first thing and what's most important, and and this often gets um i think overlooked right is the importance of naming uh vision as i think about it or or Mm. the specific outcomes that we're looking to attain and achieve
1: yeah
0: and 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 too often it's it's sort of easy to get caught in focusing on just what we're currently doing all the time right or thinking about past events that have already occurred and what whatever we focus on and focus on with emotional intensity is what cues up the unconscious self and tells yeah. the unconscious what's important. Mm-hmm. And so the more energy that we really put towards simply naming what outcome it is we want to create mm-hmm. and, and putting emotional energy toward that, like getting excited about that, feeling inspired mm-hmm. about it, you know, um, you know, sort of sort of being in awe of what it might mm-hmm. be like to create that, like name the mark focus on it with emotional energy, then what happens is that starts to cue the unconscious self that, Hey, this is what's priority. This is what's important. So the key to to really getting the brain or the unconscious self to cue into what's important is, is number one is focus. And number two is emotional intensity. And so the more consistently we focus on what we want to create, with emotional intensity, the more important our unconscious self learns that that is Mm -hmm. now, all of a sudden, the thing that we think of as instinct or intuition starts to work in a way where it's trying to move us away from what we know and closer toward what we want to achieve and fulfill. And I think a lot of people confuse intuition, to your point, when you're talking about kind of like people's instincts um, around around emotion, right? Like they know, like we know today that neurons, very similar to what are in the brain, actually live in the intestinal lining in our stomach. And so this this age-old wisdom, right, where people, you know, maybe your elders have said to you, or I know I've had people in my life say to me, like, well, what does your gut tell you? Um, When it comes to producing new results or outcomes we have not yet achieved, We have to learn to completely ignore our gut. So so that wisdom of like, listen to your gut is actually really bad advice Mm -hmm. as it pertains to creating visions or results we've never yet known because Mm -hmm. we're going to, neurologically speaking, relate to that stuff literally as a threat because it's different than what we know. And the brain is designed to maintain status quo. So when the gut shows up, right, usually that's an indication that I'm feeling a little bit afraid I need to assess the action that's in front of me and and see if it has the potential to produce the vision or the outcome that I'm wanting, use the vision and outcome as context. And more oftentimes than not, I would say 99 of 100 times, I need to be aware the gut is there. And rather than go, what does my gut tell me as to I should probably avoid something, I should probably listen to my gut and realize that I'm on track. And so most of the time when I, when I kind of my gut gets a little bit like, you know, like listen to your gut you feel that little bit of like, like anxiety feeling or uncertainty, um, usually it's a sign that we are in new territory. And because the environment and the reality is unfamiliar, my, my fight or flight mechanisms have kicked on. So now we yeah. go back to that, that kind of conversation that we had a little bit ago, which is, oh, my emotions are active right now. I'm feeling a little anxious I should probably pay attention because this is indicating where I am. It's telling me I'm probably taking mm. new action, I'm probably entertaining new thoughts or new principle ideas or new, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm about to try something I haven't done before, I'm about to take a new kind of risk. And I should probably proceed not all the time. We want to evaluate it obviously, mm. but but more often than not, it's actually telling us that we need to move forward, obviously, with caution and calculated risk and all that. Mm-hmm. But, but too often we kind of listen to those quote unquote instincts um, mm-hmm. and, and we go the opposite direction of the way we should go because of how we feel.
1: Mm. So what you're saying is those uh, neural receptors in your gut uh, closely linked to your emotional uh, defense mechanisms or emotional systems that um, are designed for self-preservation and they're not necessarily a good indicator of how to master yourself or how to improve yourself. They're better for those situations where you maybe find yourself in a dangerous situation or a, a threatening situation that you have to uh, pay attention to it. Is that what you Yeah, talking?
0: exactly. Yeah, because yeah. like, like, literally we have the neurons in, in our brain Mm. There's neurons similar in the intestinal lining of our stomach. And so when the fight or flight systems in the brain get activated, Mm -hmm. right, we're we're out of status quo. Status quo Mm. is just anything familiar. So as soon as we're out of status quo, those neurons in the brain talk to the neurons in the gut because in order to flee or fight and have the most energy to do so, those are there to basically tell the digestive system to stop because we don't need energy for digestion if we need to get out of there or if we need to defend ourselves we need all of the energy that we can possibly muster to fight off the attack or to run away and so when we really look at how the body was created and how these systems are working really the only thing that our gut is telling us is that we are in unfamiliar territory because the brain's job is to maintain status quo like the brain is going are we safe are we okay And the Mm. way that our brain knows that we're safe and okay is basically our reality is familiar. The thoughts Mm. we're thinking are familiar. The emotions are familiar and known. The way people are behaving around us is familiar. You know, I noticed that we even like assess threats to just different ideas, right? Mm. Like like you just sort of talk to another human being and they present uh, a difference of opinion. You know, they share uh, a different, uh, you know, they have a different idea about life as us and we're ready to fight. You know, we want to defend our point before we even consider whether or not they might have some wisdom there. Right. And so like literally our brain is designed to just maintain status quo, like, like, like maintain our current reality. And so if we want to thrive, if we want to do better in life, if we want to create a new and different reality than the one we know today, our brain is a little bit hardwired to work against us. And so Mm. the way that I kind of trick the brain, so to speak, or, or because we're not going to change how these systems work, right? They've been doing it for thousands of years. They're, they're not going to change how they function and operate. But what we can do is we can educate new threats. So as an example, I've taught my brain to assess fear as a threat, to assess anger as a threat, to assess sadness as a threat. So meaning if I go to this place of like anger or resentment or, you know, overwhelm, I know that I'm about to do something that's going to cause me more pain. It's going yeah. to cause me to not get the result. And because I've reinforced this idea, now when, I, when, my, when I, my system gets activated, right, it gets, it gets triggered and it kind of lights mm-hmm. up and, and I, I feel a bit resentful, I feel angry somewhere. I go, oh, wait a minute, like, like I'm about to do something destructive and dangerous because mm-hmm. of the emotion that I'm in. And so it cues me to pay attention, be aware of where I'm at, shift where I am, and then assess moving forward differently. Right, mm. or I use it as sort of like a radar device. Um, if I if I have a job opportunity come my way, you know, or or a business opportunity that mm. that somebody brings me, um, you know, that that I might be able to engage in, and I notice that that kind of anxiety or those systems turn on, mm. it kind of is like a sign for me to take a deeper look, because I'm looking at something different than what is familiar which means there might be the potential to get a result different than the one I've got. Now, of course, we need to evaluate it and make sure that, you know, it's not going to potentially lose us all our money or something like this. Mm -hmm. Like, and what I'm not saying is that just because that system's there, that we should go do something, but it, but it does tell us we should take a a deeper look because we're probably about to move in the direction of new information and new information, whether it's experience or knowledge or, um, you know, environment, uh, it, it's going to be necessary for growth and, and to create new results. So we need to start to distinguish the difference between you know, avoiding a situation because I'm noticing it's about to repeat a, a uh, potential you know, painful event mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm avoiding it just because it's new. If it's new, we should probably engage it. Um, mm-hmm. If it's sort of a road we've gone down before, okay, we might want to center ourselves and choose not to engage, start to learn to listen to that response differently
1: yeah so good it um i love the way that you distinguish the um systems as you, you you're in your fear um fear mode of operating or your love mode of operating can you unpack a little bit more of the love mode what are, what are the things like with fear we're talking about anger we're talking about uh, defensiveness we're talking about emotional dysregulation what does it mean to be in a state of love versus fear it kind of reminds me of the old uh, rabbinic um, saying that perfect love casts out all fear and yeah you know, when you're talking here, I'm thinking, okay, that makes complete sense. You know, when we've got these two systems that are either in fear or love, if you go to that mode of love, you're going to shut down your fear systems. You're going to bring your emotions under control. You're going to make better choices for you and the people that you care for. So what does it look like to be in the love system, if you like? we, We all know the emotions of fear, but what does it mean beyond... Romantic love or relationship. What does your love system look like?
0: Yeah, that's that's a great distinction. So when I when I think about love-based state or fear-based state, um, I really do think about it from a, from a brain perspective, like pure purely neurological. Mm. So if we if we kind of took took an image of our brain while it was working, a live MRI, right, um, and we showed you pictures of I don't know people dying that would trigger a fear response in the brain. And the regions of the brain responsible for producing fear, as we talked about earlier, um, yeah. would become very active and stimulated. And the regions of the brain responsible for producing love, such as the prefrontal cortex, literally shut down, become deactive for, for a bit yeah. because they're not needed to you know, operate fear-based states. They're literally like two different systems within the brain. Yeah. And yeah. so when we think of fear-based states, neurologically speaking, you know, that's sadness, that's fear itself. That's anxiety, that's jealousy, it's shame, it's guilt. They, meaning the, the same regions of the brain are responsible for producing those emotional spectrums, if you will. And so those are all indications that we're in a fear-based state. When we look at love based state, um, we're, we're actually talking about the opposite of romantic love because there, there's actually kind of two there's an experience that, I, that, that it's actually a fear-based response that many of us think of as a love-based response, which is the experience of excitement. Right. Okay. Um, And, and, and actually closely related to when the brain is in that in love state. Like when we first Mm -hmm. fall in love with somebody, you know, we're crazy. Mm -hmm. Like from a brain perspective, it's akin to like being on dopamine, like cocaine. Right. Yeah. And so those brain states, from a brain state, excitement is actually on the fear-based side of things, right? It's kind of like the Vegas thing. Like, oh, we get we get so excited. I mean, oh, I'm gonna bet yeah. all the money and I'm gonna win. And it's like, no, 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 you're in delusional capacity. Yeah. That's excitement talking. You're about to lose your money. Right. So, yeah. so that's actually from a brain perspective, those are actually fear-based responses where we want to like pay attention. Now, if we look at love-based state, Uh, prefrontal cortex is the primary region of the brain responsible for producing love-based experiences. So Mm love-based states neurologically are love itself. Um, euphoria, peace, Mm -hmm. compassion, joy, happiness, inspiration, passion, Um, And we could go on and on with that list, right? Peace Mm -hmm. as an example. And so when we're experiencing those sensations, we know that our brain is in an optimal state, it's functioning Mm -hmm. in an optimal place. And we're accessing quite literally our higher intelligent capacities um, by way of sort of embodying those higher sensations. And so Emotion is a great way to learn. Am I on a love-based side of things, or am I on the a, on a fear-based side of things in terms yeah. of where my brain is functioning? Wherever we spend the most time is what's going to be easiest for us to access. So if I practice yeah. turning my nervous system on, meaning relaxing the nervous system and and really activating love-based states such as joy and happiness and peace. The more time I spend there, the easier it is to access those experiences and the more prevalent they're going to be in my life. The more time I spend anxious or angry, the easier it's going to be to get there and the more prevalent those are going to be in my life. And especially because these are really two completely different systems working in the brain. One is either on and the other is off or vice versa. Um, The more consistently we can turn on these love-based regions of the brain, the the harder it is actually to trigger the the fight or flight response over time. Yeah,
1: this is such fascinating stuff. i mean, you're just connecting so many dots for me, Joey, uh, because they're they're things that I've had an awareness of and often taught in isolation. But now just seeing how they all sort of interact with each other, and even the way you've brought in the gut instinct and uh, and what that means to fear based um, states is just so fascinating and. I I hope it's been really helpful to those that are listening. I know it's really uh, turning some lights on for me and I'm really enjoying this. Um, There's so much that we could keep saying. Um, I suspect (laughs) we're just scratching the surface and um, we're kind of getting close to the end of the time that we've allotted for this conversation. So I don't want to uh, waste your time, but what would you say to us, uh, for those of us who are wanting to explore this further? What are some tips that you can give us uh, to help us to continue down the path of personal mastery and high-performance um, living? What would you say to our listeners today that if you could leave them one idea to think about?
0: Yeah, uh, the one takeaway that, that I would encourage everybody to, to sort of leave with is... Is to really um, explore the idea um, that whatever outside excellence or result I want to attain, mm. the inner game is the way that we get there, and the the outer result that we aspire to, whether it's a beautiful relationship in our life, or you know a, a, a you know a coherent you know and vibrant family unit, you know to a successful business or enterprise that I'm building. Um, it truly is something we create from the inside out. So the the level of mastery that we have over emotion, mind, nervous system, intuition is is what's going to define whether or not we we produce the result or we don't. And so whether it's with somebody like myself or somebody else, um, you know, find somebody, you know, with a high talent who's real qualified and who has a isn't talking theory, but really has a system of training, a system for developing emotional, mental, nervous system capacities, um, because it will be the single best uh, investment that you make in terms of producing whatever outcome it is that you choose and truly just living a better quality of life. Uh, Early in my career, I, I had the opportunity, the first set of clients that I really coached or worked with, because I was training internal training or meditation methods, and a prominent psychologist was referring me her clients. Um, I got to see firsthand people who you know lived in Bel Air and had three houses all over the world, and you know a billion dollars net worth or a hundred million dollar net worth, and very famous people, etc. And I wasn't there because they were happy and fulfilled, right? So even when we create a lot of the results. Um, doesn't mean that our inner experience is going to match up to fulfillment, and peace and inspiration. So even in the case where we do acquire external realities, the inner game is still most important, because it actually is what determines the quality of our life.
1: So okay, so uh, what would you say to somebody who has perhaps they've achieved a lot in their life, and they've, they've largely operated from the place of fear, whether it's controlling other people, whether it's you know, uh, being angry, being, uh, you know, uh, coercive in their leadership and they've achieved things, you know, they've built big businesses, they've got the car, they've got the house, Uh, but like you say, they're they're not necessarily happy or content inside. They could easily say, well, the fear-based system works. I got results from the fear-based system. Uh, Why would it be even necessary for me to explore shifting that perspective if I'm getting results from using my instinctive survival instincts, if you like? Why would I even bother yeah. with doing the love thing uh, if I'm getting results out of fear?
0: Yeah, it seems like a lot of times it's going to make me vulnerable. What am I doing here, right? Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, like two things really, right? One, um, to gain access to what we're missing out on right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I haven't met a human being yet in, in 20 years of training people all over the world, tens of mm-hmm. thousands of people. I haven't met a human being yet that would not say that that high on their list or maybe most important is I want to be happy and I want to know fulfillment and I want to know love. Like like at the core of our being, we all want access to that. And yeah. so if we're not training it, we don't have access to it. We're missing out on a lot. The second reason is a performance reason, which is yes, I agree you might've created through through fear-based motivation, some, some, some outstanding results, Mm. but it's um, it's insignificant compared, compared to what you're able to create if you're firing Mm. on all cylinders. So it's like you have a V 12, but you've actually only been using four of those 12 cylinders by Mm. way of driving through, through a fear, through a fear-based state. So if we're looking at the results that we got and we compare it to other people or where we're at and we go, Hey, I'm doing pretty good. If you, if you did that well, kind of operating and fighting against yourself the whole time. Mm. If you dial this in, you're going to not only get exponential results better than what you've already gotten, but you're actually going to love and enjoy the process.
1: Yeah, so good. So good. Joey, I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. If people want to learn more about what you do, uh, perhaps uh, get a hold of your books or get involved with your coaching programs. Where can they go to do that?
0: Yeah, the best thing is is just go to innermatrix.com. Uh, and that'll give them access to, to everything that they need.
1: Awesome. We're going to put that link in the description. And Joey, what's the title of your last book that you wrote? Just so people have something to go and look for on Amazon and maybe start exploring some of the concepts that you've talked about.
0: Yeah, the book, simple, same thing. It's just the inner matrix. And mm. if you go to innermatrix.com, there's a bunch of free training there that, that coincides with the book. If you go to Amazon right. and purchase it, You can go there and get free access to videos, um, some of these internal training techniques if you want to expand into them a little more deeply um, and and whatnot.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, Joey. It's been a pleasure having you on board. And I think we'll have to schedule another time to to continue talking because there's much more to say, I know. uh, But I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This has been great. Look forward to coming back.
1: Thanks, man. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you got a ton of value out of that episode. Don't forget to let us know what you thought in the comments and if you have a topic you'd like us to cover next time, we'd love to hear from you. If you know anyone that would benefit from the content that we produce, please like and share this channel and we look forward to having you next time on the Tarun Stevenson Leadership Channel.